I'm going to ask you to do something today that you might not have done in church recently. I'm going to ask you to be honest with God. Most of all, I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself. Has there ever been a moment, has there ever been a time, or is there a time right now when you are about at the bottom? You're desperate, you're discouraged, you're distraught, there's anguish in your heart. You begin to wonder if God was really real and if he was really good then why am I going through this? Why is he allowing this to happen in my life? I was on an hour-long call-in interview on Moody uh, Radio back in December of 07, and a guy called in from Chicago, actually, and he said, "Uh, Pastor, he said, life has not turned out like I thought it would. I don't feel connected I don't feel connected with God. I don't feel connected with a church. I don't feel connected with anybody. I I feel like I'm out of sorts. Have you got anything you can say to me? What I was grateful for is that right after he asked the question, the announcer said, uh, we're going to take a break here and we'll come back and the pastor's going to answer that question because you don't get many questions like that on an interview. And some of you today... You're thinking, if God was who he says he is, and if God were real, and if God is who some people say he is, then I wouldn't be in the mess that I'm in. The thing that I appreciate about David in the Psalms is that David is honest with God. I think one reason David was used by God was because of his honesty. He didn't wear his church facade. He didn't put on his church clothes and his church image. When David talked to God, he didn't care how it sounded. He told God how he felt. And I I believe, unless we get to the point where we can tell God the times when we are hurting, when we are wandering, when we are ticked off, Until we can get to that point of intimacy with God that we can share with Him the deepest feelings of our hearts, we will never have a breakthrough. Because we'll always deal with God like a superficial friend instead of like a heavenly father. We will keep Him at arm's length, afraid that He might know something about us that would turn Him off. But I would say to you, if that's your feeling, that God already knows. He just wants you to know that he knows. And he still loves you and wants you to tell him where you are. There there are a couple of things here before we get into the the text in Psalm 42. And, And that is, God has made the heart of man for himself. Your heart, your spirit, is to be the dwelling place of God. God created you with a spirit that needs to be redeemed so that God can dwell with you and and that that being true, my heart is never at rest until it is at rest with God. 
And I can't be at rest with God if I'm not honest with God. If I can't feel that I can come into his presence and share where I really am. I also believe that only God can understand the inner turmoil. I, I think you can go to a counselor, and it's good to go to a counselor, and you should. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But you, and you can look at uh, other Christians and get advice from them, but only God can understand what you can't in, cannot even verbalize. Your feelings, your fears, your anxieties that keep you from moving on in a new dimension with the Lord. And, and, and the great thing is it is our privilege to turn to the Lord in prayer when we are going through difficult times. And so David is writing out of his experience and he's sharing his heart. And David was a man after God's own heart. And here he is being vulnerable and being honest. One of the things that happens in churches today is we want our, uh, our, our pastors and our spiritual leaders to just be these images. And, and a lot of preachers work on image and how they look and how they come across and, and, and what people think about them. And they, you know, it's never let them see you sweat. Never let them know you're having a bad day. Never be honest because you're representing God. And so when preachers do that, they put themselves on a pedestal to be worshipped. I got to tell you, there are days when my life stinks. There are days when I wouldn't want you to follow me to the end of the hall. You ever have any of those days? If you can't admit that, then you're never going to be honest with yourself. And you're never going to be honest with God. J.H. Jowett, a great preacher of another time, said, I wish you wouldn't think I am such a saint. You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level, lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy by no means. I am often perfectly wretched and everything appears most murky. I often feel as though my religious life had only just begun and that I am at the kindergarten stage. But I can usually trace these miserable seasons to some personal cause. And the first thing to do is to attend to that cause and to get into the sunshine again. You ever had one of those days when you feel like you're at the kindergarten stage? You've been a Christian a long time, but you feel like you're not making any progress? David's honest about that. David's honest, honest about his anguish and his anger and his frustration and his despair and his anxiety and his fears. And I think if we're going to be people with a heart after God and if we're going to see breakthroughs in our life, we've got to learn how to be honest. I'm not saying that you've got to have a bloodletting, but I am saying that we've got to get beyond the what will people think if I come to the altar and pray. They'll think something's wrong with me. 
Well, let me just go ahead and tell you, they already think something's wrong with you. They might not like me as much. There's some people that won't like you anyway. Get over what people think about you and get on to what God wants you to be. And here's the thing. God can take your frustrations and turn them into an opportunity for faith. God can take those moments of frustration and those trials and make them into tests where you determine, am I going to depend on my flesh and my ability and my reasoning, or am I going to depend on my heavenly Father who knows me and loves me still? When you have times of tears, they should be times of turning. I think we're all in agreement that we would give our sins to God and ask him to forgive us. But sometimes we don't give our sorrows to God and ask him to free us. And God wants your sorrows as much as your sins. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. So David, in Psalm 42, one of the great psalms, says, As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. David said, man, there were days when I was on top of the world. And he follows that with verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul, or downcast? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. The great Alexander White, who preached in Edinburgh, Scotland for a number of years, wrote a book called Lord Teach Us to Pray. And in it he said, Almighty God and Almighty God alone is your refuge and your rock and your salvation. What a heart God's heart must be. What knowledge it must have. What sympathy it must hold. What compassion. What love. How deep it must be. How wide. How tender. What a mystery. What creatures we are and what a creator we have and what a God. Now here's something I want you to write down because you're going to have to think about it for a while. In reality... We do not pour our hearts out before God. We pour our hearts out on God. 
You, you don't pour your heart out before God. Lord, I bring before you my request. You pour it on to God. You fall onto Him. You collapse onto Him. You find yourself driven to get into His presence, not just in the general area. And, and the psalmist gives us songs in the night. Everything that happens in our life, if it's going to be a breakthrough, has to happen through Him. Now, on the screen, you're going to see some verses. It'll give you time to write them down. But I want to just go through a few of the through hymns. John 1, 4, all things that came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being. Acts 13, 39, and through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Romans 8, 37, but in all things we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. Ephesians 2, 18, for through him we have our access in one spirit to the Father. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hebrews 7, 25, therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If you take those verses and you try to sum them up, here's what that little phrase through him means. Through Christ, I am freed to overcome whatever is trying to overtake me. Through Christ, I am set free to overcome I don't overcome in my strength. I don't overcome in my power and in my wisdom. I overcome through him, through Christ. I am freed to overcome whatever is trying to overtake me. I have access which gives me enablement to overcome what is ahead of me. When, when Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled, he wasn't just talking about heaven. He was talking about the spirit who would to come. And he says, the spirit's going to come and he's going to comfort you. He's going to stand alongside you. He's going to be with you. I will be physically absent. He will be eternally present. And so God comes in our times of turmoil. And in fact, what God tells us and what God shows us through David is you take your turmoil and you turn it to God. And so, I want to give you some principles that you need to think about as you're going through times of turmoil. Number one, you will never grow until you long for God. You will never grow until you long for God. As the deer pants for the water. That's a, a picture of desperation. He, he's longing for water to give him strength to continue to run, to move, to live, to survive. Possibly being pursued by a hunter. Pursued by someone trying to take his life. The deer pants for the water. So my soul pants for you, O God. Jesus said, I'm the living water. I'm the water of life. You're trying to drink from all these other fountains. You're trying to drink from sources that do not satisfy. 
Jeremiah said to the people, he said, the reason you're not satisfied is because you drink from broken cisterns, cisterns that will not hold water. And yet Jesus says, I am living water. If you're thirsty, you come to me. You see, you're never going to grow until you're thirsty. You're never going to grow until you long for God. You're never going to grow until God is the source of your sufficiency. Not anybody else, not your gifts, not your talents, not your job, not your employer, not anybody else, but God becomes the source of your sufficiency. When you can step into a new realm of understanding God and you long for God until there is a longing for God, you're stuck. And when trials come, you'll blame God, you'll blame somebody else, you'll blame the person that divorced you, you'll blame somebody or something for the situation you're in because you're stuck spiritually. You can't see how God's going to use that to get your attention and to take you further and deeper with him. Secondly, nothing significant happens with a casual Christian. Nothing significant happens with a casual Christian. We don't grow by osmosis. The psalmist says, my tears are my food day and night. When's the last time? You so poured out your heart to God that you couldn't stop crying. Well, I don't cry. That's why you don't have an intimate relationship with God. I'm not saying tears are a sign of an intimate relationship with God, but if something can't stir you, you can't grow. He said, my tears are my food day and night. So distraught that David said, I couldn't even eat. Nothing would satisfy me. I I wasn't hungry. I just was in despair, disturbed. My soul was torn up within me. Nothing happens in a casual Christian. Because as long as we're casual, we're not committed. As long as our Christian life is an option or a piece of the pie, but it's not the whole pie. As long as it's an addendum or an afterthought or if I have time, then we'll never grow. And there'll always be a barrier. And you could live for 50 years and go to church and be a member of the church and have the church's name in your obituary and never have matured and grown beyond where you were the day you got saved or where you decided to stop growing. Because growth never happens in casual people. There has to be a a passionate pursuit. There has to be a desperation for God. Number three, you need to remember the good days. You need to remember the good days because I want to tell you, in the bad days, if you don't remember the good days, you'll think all you've ever had is bad days. That's why you ought to some way journal, keep notes, take accounts of the times when God has allowed you to be on the mountain because you won't stay there. 
You have to go down into the valley. You have to go down into the darkness. You have to go through the ravines and through the gullies. You have to go through the barren places in your life. That's life. But you need to remember the good days because the good days remind you that even though you can't sense him or see him or feel him, that God is there. So I would encourage you, it's not too late in the year, get you a journal. Write down the things that God teaches you. Write down down the things that God says to you. When, When you're reading a book, write down the thoughts in that book so that you can recall those things. I was looking in my journal yesterday and, and I looked at things that I wrote down at the first of the year that I had forgotten. You see, a good pen is better than your best memory. I'd forgotten just a year ago. But things that God showed me that I had forgotten that I needed to remember. Ron Dunn kept a journal. And uh, Kay and I have talked often about taking some things out of his journal. And she said, you know, Michael, and I've seen some of them. But she said, you know, Michael, Ron was so brutally honest with God in his journal that some of it could never be printed. You see, most of us, we're going to write our journal. You know how we're going to write it? So when other people read it, they'll think great things about us. So they say, boy, what a Christian. And you'll never record the good or the bad. You just kind of do the surface. You got to remember the mountains because it's what you learn on the mountains that prepares you for the valley. So you remember the good. In fact, in one of Ron's journal. He wrote this. This was in the late 1980s. Our last good year was 1975. Our last good year. So, well, I couldn't say that. that. What if somebody read that? Hey, you know why Ron Dunn had a ministry in this church and why he still has a ministry in people's lives? Because he was so honest. He just said, this is what God takes us through. He didn't offer pie in the sky by and by. He didn't offer that you're going to get all your prayers answered. Everything's going to turn out like you want it to turn out. I mean, you know, he was just honest. But you need to record the good days. David recorded the mountaintops, the times of praise. It's in this psalm. You know, when I used to gather with the assembly and praise God, I remember those times. Even in his despair, he remembered the good times. You can't forget the good in the midst of walking through the bad. Number four, you need an attitude adjustment. You need an attitude adjustment. Three times, he says in Psalm 42, 5 and verse 11, and in Psalm 43, 5, three times, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? There's sometimes when our prayers are not answered how we want them to be answered, when we want them to be answered, the way we want them to be answered, but God is still on the throne. You know, it's real easy to get your spiritual tires stuck in the mud and just spin your wheels for the rest of your life. 
But you need to understand that, that you need an attitude adjustment. When I've got stinking thinking, I, I, I need that attitude adjusted. I need the Lord to adjust it, and sometimes I need other people to adjust it. My wife can be real good at telling me when I've got stinking thinking. But you know, I need it. I don't want to hear it. That's when I want to preach on submission. (laughs) But I need it. Because sometimes I need an attitude adjustment. You know, you think, well, you can't believe what I'm going through. I'm going through this and this and this and this. And, you know, you always got people in your life that tell you way more than you want to know. Um, and they go through every surgery, every hang-up, every hang-nail, every toenail ingrown. And they go through everything, and you're saying, you know, I don't really want to know that much about you. Uh, but, you know, you got all this stuff. In, I just want to give you a thought for you and for me. Whatever you're going through, Mark Lowry said this years ago, whatever you're going through, it sure beats hell. At least you're not going to hell. There are a lot of people going through a lot of stuff, and they're going to hell. But whatever you're going through, it sure beats hell. Now, it may feel like you're going through hell at the time, but I want to tell you, you hadn't gone through hell. And you're not going to have to go through it. So we need to have an attitude adjustment. Number five, in good times and bad times, God is still the same. I want you to look at that little phrase, deep calls to deep. God is still the same, good or bad. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same when you're on the mountaintop, and he's the same when you're in the valley. The only thing that changes is us or our circumstances. Deep calls to deep. I want you to look at that. He says, hope in God. God has the last word, so he's going to hope in God. And then he says, deep calls to deep. That which is deep in God calls to that which is deep in me. That which is deep in God calls to that which is deep in me. But if there's nothing deep in us, if, if we're not walking with God, if we don't understand who God is and what we're going through, there won't be anything for him to call to. And there won't be any source for us to rely on and resource within us. We'll just be shallow all our lives. Deep calls to deep. After Ron's son, Ronnie, committed suicide, Ron said, I have been to the bottom and it's solid ground. I've been to the bottom and it's solid ground. Number six, God's at work whether you realize it or not. Remember the children of Israel? The children of Israel were actually in the original Hebrew, the first Baptist. Because they formed committees and they made wrong decisions. That's how you know they were Baptists. They had a meeting and decided that the majority should rule, not God. And so they wandered in a wilderness. And they ate dust and they did funerals. And they ate dust and they did funerals. Sounds like a lot of Baptist churches today. Eating dust, doing funerals. But God said in Deuteronomy 8, Moses 
speaking said, God led you into the wilderness. It didn't say he found you. It says he led you in the wilderness that he might humble you and test you and show you what was in your heart to see whether or not you would obey his commandments. You see, the last thing the children of Israel would have thought was that God was leading them in the wilderness. God led them, God humbled them, God tested them to show them what was in their heart. But you know, God's there whether you see it or not. God's at work whether you realize it or not. I, I don't know if everybody figured it out, but even when Israel messed up and ended up in the wilderness because of their disobedience, every morning there was manna on the ground for them. And every day was, there was a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to lead them. God was there. Even though they didn't see him working, they didn't believe that he could deliver them. They didn't believe that he could take them to the promised land. God was still there. Working, moving, orchestrating, leading them. And in fact, Deuteronomy 8 says he gave them shoes that would never wear out. Now, ladies, listen. 40 years, shoes that would never wear out. In the Hebrew means that means you don't need that many shoes. God will give you a pair that never wears out. Stop buying shoes. God's there whether you know it or not. You see, when we find ourselves believing the word and then we find ourselves in believing prayer, then we see his loving kindness in the day and hear songs in the night. Somewhere in that wilderness experience, God's people could have looked up and known that God was there in the middle of the night. While the enemies surrounded them, while they could have been destroyed, while they had no army, while they had no resources, God provided for them and he provided for protection for them. And surely they had loving kindness in the day and songs in the night. Last thing. If you want a breakthrough in your time of turmoil, you need to pour your heart out to God. Pour your heart out to God. David says that this psalm is a prayer. Although it would have been a song, it was also a prayer. And he says, he is the God of my life. Annie Johnson Flint wrote a poem while she was going through an extended illness. She says that during that illness, she felt that God had made himself absent. But she realized more than God taking care of her illness, she needed to take care of her walk with God. And so she wrote this poem. I want you to listen to it. Not for peace, not for power, not for joy, and not for light, not for truth, and not for knowledge, not for courage for the fight. Not for strength to do thy service. Not for these my prayer shall be. Not for any gift or graces. But for thee, Lord. Just for thee. Make me lonely for thy presence. Every earthly friend above. Make me thirst for thy indwelling. Make me hungry for thy love. 
till in full and free surrender, I shall yield my life to thee. Only then, in full perfection, can thou give thyself to me. Would you pray with me, please? Father, sometimes we come to you looking for peace and for joy and for courage and for strength and for gift and for graces. But Lord, could you move among us today that our prayer would be for thee, Lord, just for thee. Make us thirsty for your indwelling. Make us hungry for your love. Till in full and free surrender, we yield our lives so that you can give yourself to us. It has been said that on every pew there is a broken heart. And there are more of you right now that your hearts are broken or are breaking over things that have not turned out like you thought they would or crisis and situations that you're going through right now and you're not even honest with God about how you feel about that because you're scared how God will feel about you. Could I encourage you today to pour out your heart to God? Hope in God. Hear the song in the night. Let deep call to deep in you. In just a moment, they're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to ask you to remain in an attitude of prayer. Because if you're not going through a crisis, you will. And so I'm going to ask you to pray for those in this room that are in times of turmoil and stress and anxiety right now that need God to break through to them and they need to break through to God. So I'm going to ask you to stand and remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed to pray for others in this room. But this altar is open for you to come and take your distress and your downcast spirit and your turmoil and lay it at the altar and hope in God. Would you step out? Would you come right now? Would you come and give that issue to the Lord and ask Him to speak to your heart that the deep in Him would call to the deep in you?